What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, we've got a new public health commissioner, a new city budget, and a whole bunch of new light shows to go enjoy. Here to talk about it all is Crane's Catherine Davis and City Bureau's India Daniels. It's Friday, November 17th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Morning, India. How you feeling today? I'm feeling good. Um, yeah, I got my coffee. <laughs> Off to a good start thus far. Catherine, how you feeling? Feeling pretty good. Just glad the sun is out today because I know we're in probably for a typical cloudy, gloomy winter. So soaking up the rays. Now, these last 50, 60 degree days, your boy went out here getting in a little bit of a walk whenever I could find it. Um, you know, I want to welcome all the new listeners uh, who might be here at CityCast Chicago. Uh, as we know, this podcast is five days a week, but every Friday we like to look back on some big stories unfolding in Chicago, uh, a couple stories that need a little more attention. And we always end with some good news. Uh, but before we get into all of that uh, and what's happening across Chicago this week, I want to start with the holiday season. If you celebrate Thanksgiving, right, that is coming up next week. This will be our last Friday news roundup before the holiday. And so I wanted to ask y'all, what's something you're looking forward to? What's something you're thankful for going into uh, your Thanksgiving? Catherine, I want to start with you. What's something you're looking forward to next week? Yeah, so I'm looking forward to, um, I'm I'm engaged and my fiance's family and my family are going to be spending our first holiday together this Thanksgiving. A joint Thanksgiving? A joint Thanksgiving, I know. So I have a combination. I'm both excited and nervous, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wish me luck. I, I definitely do. I'm, I'm still in split the Thanksgiving. I'm going to spend a couple hours at one house, uh, end off at my mom's house. But the joint Thanksgiving, that, that's a big one. I'm definitely sending you uh, a lot of love. Uh, <laughs> India, what about you? What's something you're looking forward to, whether it's a side dish, whether it's a cousin? Uh, what you're excited for? Yeah, I'm excited for all the food. I love all the sides, multiple kinds of stuffing, like cornbread stuffing, Then like a savory kind with like sage and other herbs. And I like just loading up my plate and having a little bit of each. Yeah, my mom does an amazing cornbread stuff. And now I'm just thinking about it and the countdown. I don't know about y'all, but I I hold back on eating throughout the day until until the Thanksgiving plate. India, like you, I love me some good stuffing. Leading us off in terms of the big stories that we were talking about this week. I mean, Monday hit us with a huge one, Catherine. Uh, After three months uh, of searching, uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson made arguably one of his biggest hires to this point, maybe his biggest, uh, the newest public health commissioner, Dr. Olusimbo Ige. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about the doctor and, and what did this process look like? 
Sure. So um, you're totally right in, you know, saying how big of a deal this appointment is. I mean, the public health commissioner for Chicago became such a high profile role during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, if you remember the the former commissioner, Dr. Allison Arwadi, she became sort of a household name and a really recognizable face. So, so who's in this position is just so key um, to, you know, the mayor's administration and, and, and of course, the work that the public health department's doing. So Dr. Ige will start in her new role in December, and she comes to Chicago from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is a well-respected healthcare and equity-focused nonprofit. She's been the managing director of programs there just since January, um, so only been there for about a year or so. Um, But before that, she spent three years at New York City's public health department from 2020 to 2023. So during the worst of the pandemic, you know, she was in charge of coordinating New York City's uh, response to COVID, um, their violence prevention strategy, mental health work. And so I think it's really that experience um, that made her a top candidate for this role here in Chicago. You have to imagine that experience in a big city public health department is the first prerequisite for running uh, CDPH. So Um, You know, Johnson in a press release said that, you know, she brings a a unique lens to Chicago and that she's, you know, qualified to sort of lead Chicago in its challenges moving forward um, as it pertains to public health. So that could still be things like COVID and respiratory diseases, but also violence prevention, um, setting up mental health clinics and, you know, continuing the work that the public health department does behind the scenes, which is, you know, checking to make sure that the food at our restaurants is, is clean and um, that everything's up to code. So um, I'll be very curious to see Dr. Ige take on this role and, and how she handles it. Same. And I mean, the ousting of former top doc, Dr. Allison Arwood, it was so public, right? Kind of went back and forth with people wondering how did things go down? How much did they meet? But it was clear from the campaign trails uh, from through being elected, Mayor Brandon Johnson did not see eye to eye. What were the things that sort of made his relationship with uh, Dr. Allison Arwoody untenable that and, and what does he see in Dr. Ige that's different? So I think there's a, t- a couple different theories as to why Johnson disagreed with Arwadi's public health approach. Um, you know, some folks say that it has everything to do with uh former Mayor Lori Lightfoot's relationship with the Chicago Teachers Union and sort of the decisions that were made at the time around when to reopen public schools here in Chicago and, uh, you know, when it was safe to do so considering COVID was still with us um, and still is today, my diet. Um, I think the other, the other portion of the dispute between them had to do with the mental health approach in Chicago. So Dr. Arwadi had, you know, used public health department resources to, to set up sort of a, a nonprofit network in Chicago. And these are, you know, private sites, um, not city owned, but we're using city dollars to provide mental health services to people regardless of insurance status or whether they could pay for it. And on the campaign trail, Johnson said that he wanted to go a different route and instead reopen 14 of the city's uh, city-owned public mental health clinics um, that were closed under former Mayor Rahm Emanuel. This has been a key progressive issue in Chicago um, and something that Johnson heavily campaigned on. And so, you know, when he removed Arwadi from her position, 
while it wasn't surprising, it was still kind of shocking, especially because he hadn't lined up her replacement right away. And like you said, we had this three month gap as as he led that search for Dr. Ige. Obviously, Dr. Olusimbo Ige did her homework and realizes that the department she's coming into is going to have less funding as COVID money dries up and as, as the search for grants uh, continues as, as they dry up. What's next for Chicago's Department of Public Health in terms of a focus? Sure. So I think a big focus is going to be setting up the treatment, not trauma plan, which is what Johnson uh, campaigned on and has a lot of progressive support in Chicago. And the idea is to open all of those previously closed mental health clinics. Um, But the other part of it is to expand a program that sends social workers and therapists and other mental health workers to 911 crises when it's appropriate. So, you know, if someone is uh, perhaps abusing drugs and alcohol, if someone appears to have a a mental illness and needs help, this is the kind of person that would come uh, help them instead of an armed police officer. Uh, You know, supporters of this plans say that it's a way to cut down on police brutality and also a way to actually help these folks. Because if you have a mental illness, it, it makes more sense to direct you to perhaps, you know, a, a, a healthcare provider or a rehabilitation center rather than jail. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has everything to do with trying to interrupt these cycles for people getting arrested and, and not really getting the help that could put them on the right track on the long term. Well, this focus at the Chicago Department of Public Health and these investments directly align uh, with probably the next biggest story across Chicago this week, which was the city's $16.6 billion budget passing city council at a 41 to 8 vote. Uh, India, I want to bring you in here. City Bureau has been following the budget closely. I don't know if I expect it to pass as easily as it did, uh, but Mayor Brandon Johnson is calling this a a huge win. Yeah. It was a lot less contentious than I think people expected. And Mm -hmm. a lot of other a lot of other events in local politics ended up getting more attention. Picking up on what Catherine was talking about with treatment, not trauma, that a resolution to establish a working group around those issues was passed like a couple days before the budget was introduced. So it really got in under the wire and it does it does actually make these steps towards reopening mental health clinics and this alternative to police response, which is kind of an amazing thing to imagine, given that a year ago under Lori Lightfoot, there was a lot of opposition and this seemed like just a pilot program to kind of appease people. So that investment to reopen two mental health clinics and to give a working group kind of the runway to give further recommendations of what actually rebuilding this public mental health infrastructure looks like is huge. I think the one part of the the budget conversation that was contentious and has been for months is the, the money earmarked for the nearly 21,000 asylum seekers that have arrived in Chicago in the last year and a half. And, and the budget says $150 million. Um, And, you know, now Alders have said we got to get to work, right? Demanding more money from the state and from federal funding. Um, what, what were some other parts of the, uh, the budget that your listeners and audience really wanted to learn more about? The 
Migrant response was a big question, um, particularly in contrast to what investment has looked like in other South and West Side communities where they're considering putting shelters. And that $150 million is not going to last us very far, like less than six months. If we look at how much the city has already spent this year, it's it's approaching $360 million. So I think some people are skeptical that severely under-budgeting for this is the best way to get the state and the federal government to step in. And I think like there's also the argument that, yeah, he can pass the budget now and that looks fine, but budget amendments do happen. Like the budget will go into effect January 1, but there are constantly amendments being made given like grants and other needs. So it can kind of be deceptive in that that's what we say on paper, but it might end up being a different amount that we spend that kind of flies under the radar. But Mayor Brandon Johnson is largely calling this a win, right? He, there's a little bit more money for city homeless shelters. There's a pathway to a Department of Environment. You know, two mental health clinics uh, will likely be reopened. Uh, a, a new office to help people returning from incarceration. Catherine, does it feel like, you know, this is a a win for, for Mayor Brandon Johnson? I think so. I think he was able to deliver a lot on many of his campaign promises. Um, And, you know, even if he wasn't able to perhaps get everything in this one budget, I think he's set sort of a a runway for achieving that in the years to come. Remember, his term is going to be four years, so there's time to accomplish uh, much of this. And of course, there'll be more debates over the budget and where money should go. But I think he so far has, has indicated that direction to the people of Chicago and to city council. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patients' smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Catherine, a story I want to uh, bring up is one that may not have gotten a lot of attention this week, but equally as critical, and that's some strikes at local health care providers. Uh, can you catch CityCast listeners up? So one of the big strikes this week uh, actually took place at Howard Brown Health, which is a healthcare provider that focuses on LGBTQ populations. They have about 10 clinics in Chicago, on the north side, south side, and elsewhere. And um, about 360 of their unionized employees did 
were on the picket line two days this week, uh, protesting what they call management's unfair labor practices, low pay, and inadequate benefits. This is the second strike at Howard Brown this year, which really tells us something about the state of that organization. So it's interesting to note that, you know, this union is relatively new at Howard Brown Health. Um, You know, they've long had a nurses union, but a little over a year ago, many of the other types of employees like mental health professionals, just the, you know, folks working at the front desk, sort of the other ancillary uh, positions there um, have joined this union as well. And when I was talking with union leaders, you know, they're telling me that turnover is extremely high right now just because people are able to find jobs at other healthcare providers in the area that are paying them more, offering better benefits. You know, on the flip side, Howard Brown Management is saying that they're facing industry-wide challenges that are affecting providers everywhere. Um, Their margins are thinner and they're struggling. So, I think, you know, the the strike was only two days this week and they have upcoming negotiation meetings. And so we'll see if they're able to come to an agreement. If not, I think it's possible we see a third strike uh, through the holidays or even early next year. What are the people who work at Howard Brown asking for specifically? Yeah, so they're asking for higher wages, um, like a higher minimum wage for new employees. Um, They're also asking for what what they would describe as more affordable health insurance. So they're saying that Howard Brown does offer health insurance to part-time employees, but that in order for employees to have access to it, it's usually taking about a quarter of their paycheck to pay for it. So they want management to bring down basically the employee's share of the cost. You know, the other issue here is that the union has filed several complaints with the national Labor Relations Board, and the NLRB has actually found merit in some of those uh, complaints, particularly around when Howard Brown Management laid off about 60 people at the beginning of the year. The commission found that management did not adequately negotiate those layoffs, and they actually had to reinstate those people that were laid off if they wanted to come back. And so I think that sort of also speaks to the tension there between management and the union. And we'll just see how it it plays out. India, I want to bring you back in here. We've been talking about the police district councils throughout the year, but things have, have gone a little bit more quiet as they start meeting amongst themselves. I know that City Bureau and the documenters programs sits in on a lot of these meetings, and there were some this week. You know, for a person who, who hasn't been to one yet, uh, wh- what are those meetings like and, and, and what are they working on at this point? These meetings look a lot of different ways in different parts of the city. There are 22 police district councils. And if you remember earlier this year, you may have voted on who would represent you in your police district council. Um, The Fraternal Order of Police, the police union, did try to get a lot of candidates that were backed by them into those positions. They weren't as successful as they hoped to be. But one of the reasons why the FOP was really focused on this is that One member from each district council represents them on a citywide nominating committee, and that nominating committee is charged with creating a short list of people to serve on the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability. Now that, like an interim version of that, was started up around this time last year as well. Um, But the real one, the one that's going to be somewhat democratically selected, Um, rather than just straight appointed, is going to 
be implemented in the new year. So the nominating committee really has the power to shape whether this commission is going to be really focused on police accountability and kind of tightening up some of the policies. If the nominating committee, on the other hand, has a lot of people who are more supportive and sympathetic to the police, then the emphasis of that nominating committee is going to be much more about officer support, payments or salaries. And I think like beating back this public outcry against police brutality and violence. Um, So that meeting will be happening this Saturday at 9 a.m. at Malcolm X College. It's open to all members of the public. And it kind of flies under the radar, but I think it'll be a really interesting meeting. I really appreciate you bringing that up because it's a, a nice call to action to let people know that this meeting is coming up. And you and you mentioned that the police district councils with there being 22, they look different depending on your neighborhood, right? What is something you've learned through the coverage of, of just some of these district councils? A recent police district council meeting, they talked about the importance of moving the location of their meetings around. And they have moved around a little bit, like they serve... Bridgeport, Chinatown, um, Brighton Park, but they had held several of their meetings in Canaryville, which is historically more of like a white pro-cop neighborhood. And some of those meetings got very contentious with people yelling and people who did not necessarily feel safe or live in that neighborhood, not feeling like they could show up at those meetings. So it feels like people are able to, the councils are really able to define what their agenda is at this point and what theirs looks like uh, based on the, the members. Yes. One of the members is specifically tasked with community engagement. And so that has shown up in a lot of different ways. In many ways, this is really still an experiment. It stems from the Um, Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability movement of getting hyper-local groups of people involved in this discussion of police accountability and what we need to feel safe. Um, But we don't really know what that looks like. These, These representatives are given a very small stipend in honor of their time. They're not really given a lot of funding for promotion or kind of bringing people together. And it's an extremely part time thing. So Mm -hmm. on the one hand, it is encouraging to see more forms of civic participation and leadership that do not require you to be a full-time politician. But it's also like, how do you fit this into other parts of your life when you work full-time or like you have a family? Every single episode of CityCast Chicago typically ends uh, with me mostly sort of thanking the people who work here, thanking our guests, uh, and then plugging whatever cool events we got up. Uh, but right before that, uh, we, we like to sing some good news, right? It could be an event, some personal news, some professional news, something you're looking forward to uh, that you want to put CityCast folks on. Catherine, what is your good news today? 
Sure. So mine, unsurprisingly, is still sort of healthcare related, um, but the and it's also related to the public health department. But they announced this week that they are setting up Narcan vending machines around Chicago in different places. Narcan is the drug that reverses an opioid overdose. So really key and really important. These vending machines will be around the city in like libraries, at CTA stops, and Chicagoans can access the items in there for free. And, you know, I think this is great news just because the opioid epidemic, as we know, is still with us. Um, People are, you know, overdosing on our streets, on our trains, on our buses all the time. Um, These are people we know, sometimes just strangers. But I think having Narcan around um, and having the ability to save someone's life in an event like this is great. And it's free. So nothing to complain about there. Yeah, we sat down with some representatives from the Chicago Public Library recently, and they say this program, like every program offered there, is this is a response to what does our community need? This is a community resource. um, And I appreciate that the conversation uh, around this has gotten to a point uh, where we're able to provide this openly in the public um, and and allow for these resources to be accessible to folks. Um, So I'm glad that you brought this story to us today. India uh, City Bureau has not only a ton of resources for people to engage with public meetings going around, uh, but also some events that people can can meet and learn the work that uh, some of the other work that you all are doing. So feel free to plug away with your good news. Thank you. We have a lot of events coming up the next few weeks. You can find more information at citybureau.org. Um, In a couple weeks, we'll be having a public newsroom, which is our free event series where we talk about reporting and how it connects to like communities. So our reporting fellowship team will host a discussion about investment in Bronzeville, what it looks like, can it be equitable without displacing people? That'll be a really interesting conversation On Thursday, December 7, we have an annual fundraiser at Weiner Brewery. There will be snacks and drinks. That's a great way to learn more about what we do and connect with folks. And then on Tuesday, December 12, we have a social hour at the 49th Street Sip and Savor. This is a free event where we just kind of bring together folks in our community, hang out. It's a great place to meet people who might be wanting to work on something like a book club together or talk about what's happening in the city. So yeah, really looking forward to those opportunities to gather. We will drop links in our show notes. I had the pleasure of sitting on a panel uh, a, a little while ago with uh, co-founder Bettina Chang. And it was such uh, an amazing opportunity to listen to the work that you are doing, but also just to hear her speak. Before we get out of here, I'm going to leave people with some good news. Last week, we were talking about the Chicago Christmas trees that are back this week, including the Millennium Park tree. But uh, that's not the only holiday thing that's coming back this week. The ice skating rinks at Millennium and Maggie Daly Parks are open this weekend. Uh, But basically, Chicago becomes the city of lights starting this weekend. The light shows are back at the Chicago Botanic Gardens with Lightscape. The Lincoln Park Zoo lights are back, which I went to last year. Uh, Very cool. Uh, The Morton Arboretum Illumination lights are back. Wind Trust Magnificent Mile Light Fest is this weekend and the Rosemont Sparkle Light Fest. So basically, if if you like holiday lights, uh, this is your weekend to get them started. And I know they'll be stretching through January, but I've already looked at the schedule 
and it's filling up fast, y'all. So if y'all want to see some cool, uh, beautiful Chicago lights, you can check our show notes. We'll have a couple of those links. Again, I want to give a huge thank you to our guests today from Cranes, uh, Catherine Davis, and from City Bureau, India Daniels. Thank y'all for making time for us. Thanks, Jacoby. Yeah, thanks. Before I let you go, I want to give a huge thank you to the people who make CityCast Chicago and Hey Chicago. That's executive producer Simone Alisea, our producer Michelle Navarro, our newsletter editor Sydney Madden. All the music we love is from Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. And of course, my last thank you is for you. I appreciate you listening to the podcast, reading along at chicago.citycast.fm. I appreciate you for rating and reviewing wherever you listen, giving us those five stars. Thank you for sharing us with your friends and family. I appreciate you posting about us on social media. Thank you for calling 773-780-0246, leaving your name, neighborhood, and an episode idea. I appreciate all of that. And if you're thinking to yourself, Kobe, I haven't done a single one of those things besides listening to the podcast because either I'm brand new or I don't really, you know, engage further than listening because I think, you know, that that's like enough, you know, hey, maybe give it a try. We'd appreciate it. I'd appreciate it. Thank you. I'll talk to you on Monday. If you choose to be here, I'm going to be here. Hopefully you'll be here. Peace. <laughs>